Welcome to With One Accord, a brief time presented by the Houston Chamber Choir each Monday and Friday to join us together and to be renewed and refreshed through the power of choral music. I'm April Harris, Manager of Operations, and I'm thrilled to host today's Education Spotlight. Today's episode shines a spotlight on Dr. Zaneda Stewart-Robles, acclaimed music educator based in Southern California. Dr. Robles characterizes herself as a fierce advocate for diversity and inclusion in music education and performance. Authentic interpersonal connection and relationship building are core principles of her teaching and performance methods. She serves on the National Board of the National Association of Negro Musicians and is chair of the Board of Directors of Tonality, a nonprofit organization that promotes peace unity, and social justice through choral music performance in Los Angeles. Dr. Robles also serves her community as the leader of several school and church ensembles with members of all age groups. She is also currently a panelist for Her Voice, a choral composition competition for emerging women composers hosted by Chicago Acapella and Kansas City Chorale. It was a pleasure to speak with Dr. Robles and again be reminded of the talented and driven individuals that continue to create and share the beauty of choral music with our world. After the interview concludes, stay tuned for a beautiful choral music selection composed and conducted by Dr. Robles. Enjoy. So I'm joined today by a very special guest, singer, conductor, educator, and arts administrator, serving on the board for NANM, the National Association for Negro Musicians, and as board chair for the Los Angeles Choral Organization, Tonality, Dr. Zaneda Robles. Dr. Robles, thank you so much for joining me today from the West Coast. Thanks for having <laughs> me. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. Awesome, it's awesome to have you here. Now, in addition to teaching, um, you also have a very active career in choral performance. Can you tell me when did your love for choral music begin? Sure, I have uh, always loved to harmonize ever since I was a very young child. And my first choral experience, what you might consider traditional choral experience happened in high school. I went to the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. And it was there that I was finally in a setting where I could be in uh, a choir of, of singers who were my age, who had some skill, you know, it was, an, it was a, a program for which you had to audition. And so um, it was like, I didn't have to search for people who could do what I do and like what I liked, they were just right there. And so um, I loved harmonizing with my friends and all kinds of styles. Um, and so that love sort of kind of developed throughout high school. And then of course, throughout college, uh, being in different chamber singers ensembles and tour going on choir tours and that sort of thing. And um, interestingly, I wasn't, I, it never occurred to me to consider making a career out of conducting or teaching or choral really? music. No, I was a, a performance major in my undergrad. Um, and, and I did one year of uh, opera uh, performance major um, in graduate school. But the funny thing is, it's, it's, it's sort of not common for opera performance majors to still be in choir. And that was me. I, I couldn't stop being in choir. <laughs> so uh, it was sort of like, 
something wasn't right here, you know, and, and uh, as I was participating in that final year um, as a uh, performance major in opera, you know, um, I went on a choir, I went on a trip to a uh, choir festival and that's where I heard um, Paul Smith's uh, Northridge singers from out of Cal State Northridge. They performed what went on to become their uh, award-winning performance um, uh, at the Choir of the World Festival um, in the Netherlands, uh, or excuse me, in Wales. And uh, But I saw that performance before they got there at this festival I was at as an opera major, kind of infiltrating the choir, right? Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment that I realized that I did not belong in opera, I belonged in choir. And so I went up to Paul Smith after that performance um, with tears in my eyes. And I said, I, I have to go study with you. I have to go, I, I need to be in, I need to be doing choral music. I need to conduct, I need to be surrounded by this all the time. I'm not an opera singer, <laughs> I'm not an opera singer. And so um, I left a full scholarship and opera performance to go do something I'd never done before. I had never really conducted anything. I didn't really know anything about the choral field, I just knew that that's where I belonged. And so I, I followed Paul Smith to Cal State Northridge and the rest is history. Uh, I've just been devoted to this field ever since and I love it. I absolutely love choral music and um, the choral art. Absolutely, that is such an amazing story an intro to your love for choral music. Now, when it comes to performing um, in, a, in a choir um, or conducting a choir, do you have a preference or is it like a, I love both equally on a different way <laughs> situation? That's a great question. Um, what an honor to be here to, to, to have to ponder these things. Um, it's interesting. So do I prefer to conduct it or to, to sing it? Um, boy, they're so different. Uh, and, and yet they're so similar. They're, there's so, <laughs> One really important thing as I got into um, my more advanced uh, choral studies, um, particularly when I started doing my doctorate at USC, um, it was like magic realizing how powerful your gesture can be and then realizing how connected gesture, your, your physical gestures with your hands and arms is connected so intimately with your voice with your vocalism. And so I became a better singer because I started to learn how to be a better conductor, how to actually connect my body to my voice, to my music making. It's this idea of integration. And so it's almost like there's not really, it's hard to draw a line. You can't really, I can't, I conduct better when I sing and I sing better when I conduct. I can't, it's hard to do them both at the same time because they require, it requires so much brain power to do one or the other, but they're informed by each other. Um, and I would say that I'm most comfortable singing I, because I've been doing that forever. You know, like I love to harmonize, I'll harmonize anything, you know, much to the dismay of friends who are like, I just wanna hear the melody, you know, but um, I'll just do it, you know, I love it. But I think that conducting requires me to um, dig deeper and go into more uncomfortable places that ultimately invite a more sometimes a more fruitful experience because i have to be vulnerable i'm not comfortable i'm not comfortable in my body i'm i'm actually not particularly well coordinated physically um which is why the conducting 
helped my singing so much because I had to learn how to coordinate. I had to learn how to create shapes with my hands and with my elbows. And I had to, because if I didn't, I was, you, you know, did you know that you can actually really mess somebody up? You can really mess a singer up by showing them gestures that are not helpful. And I did not know that. Like you can, you can control somebody somebody's larynx just by going like this like like it's and conductors aren't i wasn't aware that i was doing these things so by conducting i became aware that and my body needed to release tension in other areas like particularly this area was an area of tension for my larynx well once i realized that i realized i was carrying a lot of tension here and that was translating into tension here isn't that crazy it's it's like it's amazing you know um and just learning about hinges and everything. That's amazing. It's like a, I guess I, I'll use a biology term, like a, a symbiotic relationship where it's- At least, yeah, for me it is. Beneficial to each other, absolutely. That's amazing. Absolutely, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> now, uh, let's um, briefly discuss your um, community involvement. Um, your community outreach extends to several student um, as well as community choir organizations. Now, how many students do you usually work with and teach? So as a, as a, um, as a performing arts instructor um, at Harvard Westlake School, so I'm, like my full, I'm, I'm a full-time high school teacher. So I, so I work with, I have about, I mean, because of the pandemic numbers are kind of skewed, but in general, I tend to work with about 80 to 90 singers at the high, high school singers at my institution. Um, in addition to that, I also work with um, singers um, at my church institution. I, I'm also the director of music at Neighborhood Unitarian Church. And so I work with about 30 adults um, on a weekly basis. And I have a small but growing um, youth chorus where I work with anywhere between, you know, you know, maybe 10 or so young people, sometimes 15 if the, you know, different levels. But we're, we're building that program. Um, and it's a great joy. Uh, and then, you know, outside of that, just just various interactions. If I, you know, it's always an honor to do an honor choir or to do a um, guest conducting or just, just different things where I might work with massive, large groups of students, you know, hundreds of kids, or even just working with small groups, you know, um, visiting classrooms. Um, all of it is, is very um, life-giving and, and enjoyable for me. Amazing. Now, have you found a particular tactic to be more effective when it comes to encouraging singers, um, both young um, and also um, adult singers, to stay in choir, and then also recruiting new singers to the organizations that you're involved in? You know, that's a really good question, and it's an area of growth for me. Uh, I haven't. I, I you know, there are some uh, conductors and you know ensembles that are really great at recruiting. Um, I have recruiting is is an area that I have to work on. Um, what I do do and what I think has has kept people in my ensembles is I I am conscious of being my you know authentic self. I can't be I can't be you know anybody other than me. And that person that you see in front of the ensemble is just you know full of energy and full of genuine love for the art form and you know, and, and just genuine, genuine love and appreciation for the people that are there to to make them you know, with whom I'm making the music. It doesn't matter how old you are. I need I need the young people, the children, the the kindergarten, you know, K through K through eight. You know, my high school students. 
I need everyone equally to make music, right? If my art form is conducting, you know, I can, I can do anything by myself. So I'm very, very gracious with my singers. I'm very affirming. I'm, I'm very conscious of creating healthy, inclusive spaces where all voices are valued and where, where my singers feel like they matter. Um, I really try to avoid a hierarchical situation, except for where there are need, where there's a need for like, you know, section leaders. And then in that case, we're building, we're really kind of building teams, you know, and so, so there's a lot of team building that goes into my work with every single ensemble at every single level. And I think that's been probably the most beneficial thing to um, retention and growth for my programs. Amazing. And speaking of encouragement, um, you were announced as a panelist for an amazing mentorship and scholarship program for emerging women composers, Her Voice, hosted by Chicago Acapella and Kansas City Chorale. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about the competition? Well, I'm one of three composers who are serving as kind of panelists and mentor composers for um, our you know, prospective um, uh, applicants. And um, it, what's exciting to me, this is, to, to my knowledge, I th I, this is kind of the first time that, that something like this has happened, um, where there's been, where it's really geared to uplifting the voices of women composers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, putting women composers at the forefront of, of mentorship for that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, from my perspective, it's a huge opportunity to not only engage and mentor, you know, like, like I, I just love, you know, exploring composition with young composers and arrangers. It's really exciting to watch their, their ideas come to fruition. So I'm looking forward to that, but even more so, I'm looking forward to this collaboration and cooperation with these colleagues of mine um, that I'll be working with these composers that I admire. And, um, and so that, that, there's there's not a lot more I can say about it because it's so new. I, I don't quite know what to expect, but I do look forward to all the applicants and hearing um, some amazing new compositions coming out of this program. I think it's going to be a wonderful experience. And you mentioned there were other um, expert panelists um, that were a part of that. Um, would you mind mentioning their names? If they yes, working on I'm working on the Her Voices program with Stacy Garrup and Chen Yi. And I'm really, really excited about working with those two phenomenal composers and getting to know them through our work as we try to lift up other young composers coming through the program. Absolutely. And is there um, a public event um, that we can look forward to when the compositions will be performed or is it kind of still in development? It's still in development. We're still processing applications and kind of figuring out how we want Ooh, to okay. support and, and um, uplift these, uh, our composers. Um, and as soon as we find out, we'll, we'll let you guys know. <laughs> awesome. You are the board chair of Tonality, an organization that presents choral performances that thematically focus on major social justice issues, such as homelessness, um, mental health, climate change, the list goes on. Now, can we briefly discuss um, did you designing Tonality's virtual 2020-2021 season? What are some of the highlights that you can share about creating the programming? Sure. So first of all, I have 
very little to do with creating that programming, except that I listen to the artistic director and say, yes, you're brilliant, you should do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> our artistic director is Dr. Alexander Lloyd Blake. Um, he's a very, very close friend um, and colleague of mine. We met at the University of Southern California in the doctoral program in choral music there at USC. And um, actually we met before that too, and we go back. So, but this um, organization has grown leaps and bounds from our, um, Alex's vision to just really what started out as um, bringing a diverse group of singers together that represented visually and from a cultural perspective what we kind of want to see in our world, you know? Um, and, uh, and so from that, this, from that it grew and it became apparent that, you know, just by listening to the singers, beyond just wanting to be in a diverse community, we each have diverse experiences and we're all aware of the different really major issues that people are really struggling with. And, and Alex has always has been about, you know, well, why don't we use this space, this forum as a way to explore and discuss and tell stories. One of the main tenets of, of Tonality's um, success is this idea of storytelling that we, that Alex, really expertly um, does with every concert, every performance. So fast forward to our 2020-2021 virtual season, which we had to do, of course, because of the pandemic. Um, no one knew what to expect. I think a lot of um, choral organizations were sort of kind of, you know, just trying to keep their heads above water. But because, tone out, because of all of the social and political unrest that's happened over the year, you know, kind of exacerbated by COVID and just everything just kind of coming out, you know, um, it really fueled Tonality's um, creative um, process and um, resources. Um, and what we had already been doing sort of came into the limelight um, as a model for what other ensembles, organizations, you know, et cetera, could be doing to shine a light on important issues that we really need to start paying attention to, as opposed to just kind of doing pretty music for music's sake, you know? Um, really telling stories, really saying something important. And um, the, the pandemic gave us an opportunity um, to tell those stories in um, video form. Tonelli's always had phen phenomenal um, access to uh, videographer, videography and um, graphic design. Um, and so, and, and that's all just, do, I don't, I honestly don't know how Alex found these brilliant people to do this work, but um, Alex, the artistic director, I mean, he's got the vision and then somehow he gets people to, to realize this vision and you, you have these gorgeous videos. And so as a result now, we, we probably, you know, I don't know how many videos we've actually done. I've lost count, to be honest. I just know that every single one of them is absolutely stunning. It's a whole, it's probably, we've probably done about an album's worth of of music videos which is more we never plan to have that and now it's like it's a huge asset for us um to to tell our story far and wide and also to bring people more people into the tonality family so they can see what what work we do um when we're live um because the live concerts are just indescribably moving and beautiful and always center the stories of the people who are represented on stage Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And uh, you mentioned um, Dr. Blake. Um, he was just awarded Chorus America's Louis Botto Award for Innovative Action and Entrepreneurial Deal. Yes, he was. I knew he was going to get it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yep. the impact um, that tonality um, that this amazing group is making in their community. Yes. So, 
Are there any um, ideas Tonality has used this season um, that you really loved that you would want to pursue again um, for future artistic seasons? Something that really stood out, captivated you, that you're like, we need to continue this for as long as possible. You know, I just feel like Tonality's trajectory has been, you know, just miraculously on point like we've we've been headed in a direction that that is fruitful and generative and i just want to see us continue to move in that direction do we want to have a full virtual season ever again no <laughs> you know um but do we want to continue creating quality video content and telling you know creating these beautiful lyric videos that tell stories that desperately need to be told through um immaculately performed choral music yes absolutely we need to continue to do that um we don't need to do as many because we need to focus on our live performances and we just want to take our we want to take our message further we want to tour we want to do more albums we want to we want to travel we want to guest we want to be guest artists you know we want to be collaborators with other, with other organizations, you know, so that our voices can help amplify other people's voices that need to be heard. Um, so it's just, it's really, it's not so much that we want to take any ideas that worked, you know, into the, you know, we'll keep doing it. It's more, we want to take the fuel that's been, that we have from it and let that fuel us into action going forward so that we can just keep this, keep this ball rolling. Yeah. Are there any other projects um, we can look forward to either from you or any of your affiliate organizations? Um, um, that's really hard to say, you know, we're still, everybody still kind of has COVID brain, right? And so, and we're all trying to figure out, I, I think now I'm sort of assessing where we've been and what we've all been through. Um, and I'm thinking about that organizationally. I'm thinking about that in terms of uh, being an educator, what, I'm, what I've learned about education and my, you know, how my classroom has changed, how my teaching has changed as a result of this experience being virtual this whole year. Um, and we're crafting the next projects right now with taking what we've learned and taking our experiences um, forward with us as we craft them um, in this moment. Um, and so <laughs> I, I guess the answer is stay tuned. I don't know yet. I, I don't know yet, but it's going to be, I'm, but I will say this, I'm really, really excited. I'm super motivated. I'm probably more motivated now than I've ever been um, as an, as an artist. Um, one thing we didn't really talk much about that is kind of an important development in my life is my life is my work as a composer. So I've been doing a lot of a lot more composing. Um, and a lot of it is related to my work with tonality, tonality not only being a place where I can exercise, you know, my my passion for advocacy for choral music, but I can also exercise my my ex my artistic expression through composition. And it's thanks to tonality that many of my that several of my works have gotten out. Um, and so I'm continuing to explore that. So creatively, that's sort of a direction that me personally, I'm sort of starting to explore a lot more than I was before. So I'm really looking forward to that avenue, um, the compos composition avenue to kind of go alongside all of the, the other stuff and just kind of expanding this beautiful choral life that seems to be evolving. Absolutely. Dr. Robles, thank you so much for sharing this information for the discussion about just how you're able to express yourself creatively, how you're able to help other individuals express themselves and to join together and to 
keep the music going. Simple as that. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing a lot more about all of your endeavors, as well as with tonality and her voice competition. Thank you. Thank again. you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Special thanks to our donors and partners for their consistent support. To our phenomenal guests, Dr. Zaneda Stewart-Robles, and to you, our listeners, for tuning in. And now, please enjoy a beautiful children's chorus performance of Umoja, composed and conducted by Dr. Zaneda Stewart-Robles. Chamber Choirs with One Accord is your one-stop shop for choral joy. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us to continue our mission to grow the esteem and appreciation of choral music by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to our content. As a 501c3 nonprofit, support from listeners like you allows us to continue making new and exciting programming. For more information about us and how you can support our work, please visit HoustonChamberChoir.org give.